When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. This is your post game show after Ohio State's 14 to 3. Yes, that is right. 14 to 3 loss to Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. And. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. There's four players individually I want to talk about, and then we can talk about Ryan Day and his coaching staff because they were god-awful offensively. That was that was pathetic. That was pathetic what we saw today. You had 30 days to prepare to play a football game, and that's what you did. That was pathetic by two-thirds of your football team. Defense was awesome. Individually, Jack Sawyer, Nathan, I think, just had the best game of his career here, and it makes his decision of what he does next a little complicated because do you want to end on that or do you want to build on that going in the next season i'm just going to run down the other three guys and i'll let you guys respond the offensive line and we can talk about it as a whole as well but enoch vamahi this is the second time nathan we've seen him they they've put him in a position in a big game whether we're talking the michigan game last year or friday night against missouri and it just didn't look good and i'm just not understanding what's what they're seeing in practice that results in him being in starting positions against these caliber of opponents because I haven't seen it yet. I thought Josh Pryor had a bad day, and I thought Josh Simmons. We've, we've talked about him. It's been a growing process in how good he's he's been over the year, over the weeks of the season, and I thought he had gotten to a point where he was at least quality. I thought he took some steps back t- today. So those are the four I wanted to talk about. Anybody else individually you guys want to bring up or anybody you want to react to, Nathan, we'll start with you. I assume we'll just save a whole uh, section of this for the quarterbacks, right? We're not. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. They're, but yes. If, they're, 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 they're not individuals. That's just their own thing. I, the offensive line thing is Ryan Day wouldn't come out and say it, but something happened with Carson Hansman with this thing where he went on a, a podcast and and yeah. spilled the beans on some things. I actually still haven't. They, they took that down, so I didn't actually hear the podcast in question. Um but I think that was why he was in the doghouse tonight. I don't think this was just now he hadn't been playing great down the stretch, but you would have thought another month would have helped him play well. 
And uh, I think that that was a contributing factor here that Ryan Day did not want to get into for whatever reason. So that's complicating things. Jack Sawyer did have an awesome game. I don't know that I'm... I'm seeing that that vibe out there that, like, because they didn't win this game, because the offense didn't play well, that that somehow... I mean, this defense showed that it can be phenomenal Mm -hmm. again next year. Phenomenal. This defensive line could be the best defensive line in the country next year if all these guys come back. I mean, what they did tonight, I mean, that was like a Joe Moore Award candidate offensive line. And I thought Ohio State just tore them up for large stretches of this game. Um, Missouri's offense was just as stifled as Ohio State's was, except Missouri had its starting quarterback and, and and its best receiver, its star receiver, and its best running back too. I mean, it had it had everything intact on its offense, and Ohio State was still tearing it up. So the idea that players would come out of this game and see how dominant they could be as a unit next year, have the same NFL evaluation, and decide they don't want to come back, I don't know if I get the logic of that. I think if it now if because he played so well, somehow that makes him think he needs he should take a shot. I guess I could see that. But I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that this, I know fans are discouraged and players are discouraged too after a game like this, but I don't know that it's like, oh, I'm done. I'm out of here. Like, I don't know that there's, show me like the evidence of that happening in recent history of players just throwing up their hands and being like, well, man, the starting quarterback got hurt and we didn't know we had to throw a true freshman to the wolves. So I guess I can't come back here and play next year. I don't don't get that. So uh, I, I think that what I took out of this game defensively is if all these guys come back and that had been the lean coming into this game where we thought this was trending, if all those guys come back, this is maybe the best defensive line in the country next year. And championship defenses are built on elite defensive lines and they could have one, but they've got to figure out a quarterback to go with it as we saw this year. And as we saw again, Friday night. Andrew, what did you think of Ohio State's defense tonight? Well, the defense was outstanding. Um, you know, there were a lot. I saw this a lot. You know, fans are saying, oh, they wore down late. Well, yeah, they, they wore down late. They were on the field for more than half the game. <laughs> you know, they, they, they yeah. pitched a shutout for three quarters. Like, if you, if you would have said, you know, going in just some of the stats, like Missouri is the most explosive offense that they have played this year doesn't mean that they're the best offense that they have played this year. It means they're the most explosive. They were like, I think they were tied for 18th in, in um, plays of 30 or more yards this season. They had Luther Burden, who is one of the best receivers in the country. And Luther Burden finished with three catches for 15 yards, and he had one rush for 20 yards. If I had told you that going into the game, you would have went, oh, so the Buckeyes, are they're going to stomp them. Like this is going to be, this is going to be something crazy. Brady Cook, 11 of 18, 128 yards and a touchdown. That like the numbers from Missouri's offense and Missouri is a good offense. You know, I I understand the offenses for Ohio State is going to draw a lot of the criticism, going to draw a lot of the eyes. And that's going to be what fans want to talk about. Rightfully so. I get it. But the defense was just unfreaking believable. And this was a moment that you needed the defense to play well. And I get it. Missouri's running back, uh, Cody Schrader, he rushed for 128 yards and a touchdown. He only had 4.4 yards per carry. It's not like he was just breaking off these long runs. Like Ohio State's defense, they kept them in the game. And like I get like the metaphor that I thought of was it was like when you carry up a bunch of groceries to your apartment or to your front door or whatever. And you see a bag ripping and you're just trying to make it and you're just hanging on. And right when you get to the door, the bag rips and everything just goes everywhere and it goes haywire. 
that's what happened to Ohio State's defense. They hung on and they did every possible thing they could to win this game. And they allowed 14 points and they lost by double digits. That the, the defense, you cannot say enough good things about it. And Nathan's right. If you get a lot of these guys back or even some of these guys back, my goodness gracious, like th- this defense is going to be really good again. And, you know, I kind of thought when Jack Sawyer, when he had his third sack, I was like, should Ohio State pull Jack Sawyer? Like, should they, should they be like, oh, man, let's, let's get Kenyatta Jackson some reps. Let's get him out of this game. So, yeah, it, it was just a moment where Ohio State's defense was spectacular. And there's not enough good things to say about the way that they played and the effort that they played with. And we could talk about the offense now because, my goodness, the, the defense just outclassed the offense in every single way. But it, Is just the clear, offense the bags? Are they in the grocery bags in this situation? Yes. Okay. I, I think the, the whole game was the bags, but the offense was the, <laughs> the bag of milk that you uh, stupidly thought was going to uh, – the three bags of milk that you thought one bag was going to be able to – three things of milk. Anyway, I, I'm – we're getting way too far down the line on that metaphor metaphor went Uh, way longer than i thought it would but uh to be fair i I was specifically saying this would be the best defensive line in the country because there are some other things that they have to figure out on this defense that were i think we saw tonight for sure they've got to figure out what sunny styles best fit is you know jim Knowles was calling him Mm -hmm. potentially an elite uh deep safety tonight man i don't know if i see that. that um but I think he's a very great defensive player eventually. But where do you fit him? If it, if he is a linebacker, then where are you fitting other guys? Um, and some things like that that have to be worked out. Uh, but I just, man, I try to put myself in the mindset of fans. If you're a fan who comes out of this game discouraged in any way by this defense, I have no idea what is going on in your head. Like I just, this, you gave up 14 points. Missouri averaged... Well, I gave you the stat, Andrew. It was like 35.9 points in SEC games this year, not including like non-conference butt whoopings. Like they averaged a ton of points just in SEC games this year. Ohio State held them to two touchdowns, none in the first half. Yeah, so so I have the numbers on that. Um, if we can talk about this right now, uh, Missouri came into this game 15th in the country with yards per play, 24th in the country in yards per game, uh, 24th in points per game. 30th and third down percentage, 18th in plays of 30 plus yards. Like I mentioned, they had 4.7 yards per play. They had 6.62 during the season. They had 331 total yards. They averaged 442.9 during the season. They scored 14 points. They averaged 34.1 during the season. They were four of 16 on third downs. They went 44% during the regular season. Like they were, they were really good. Like this is a, this is an offense that, could score some points. And this was an offense that has given a lot of really good teams fits. Georgia being one of them, they were in that Georgia game for a while and you held their best player to three catches for 15 yards. You completely shut him out of the game and you still lose by double digits. The the defense was, was really, really good. I thought this defense played like a bunch of guys who were ticked off about how the season ended and they went yeah. out and did something about it. Like we're watching, Andrew and I are watching this on TV. Nathan's in Dallas. We're watching it on TV. I think the one benefit is every time somebody made a play on this defense, you heard it. Literally, these boys are hitting and they're screaming and it's emotional. Denzel, there was a sequence of plays where Jack Sawyer gets a sack on first down and then he's screaming at the top of his lungs and you hear it. 
Like he's pissed about what's going on out there. Next play, Denzel Burke gets a TFL on a screen pass. He's screaming, and you hear it. Ty Hamilton gets a sack on the next play, three and out. Your their defense was ticked because they feel like the Michigan game did not end the way they would have liked it to end, right? Especially in that second half, and they went out and did something about it. The only problem is they didn't have any help from the offense, which Nathan. Three years ago, we're having this exact same conversation the other way after a bowl game. We're saying, dude, the offense is scoring. C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith, the Jigbler, and Marvin Harrison Jr. are unstoppable out there. Can this defense please do something, please, once, to help this awesome offense out? And we watched these bad defenses waste historically great offenses record-wise. Like, they were breaking records out there, dude. Historically great. And these bad defenses kept getting in the way. And I'm transitioning into it because it's it, it's just, it was pathetic. I'm going to keep saying that. This was pathetic because yep. you had 30 months to prepare, for, 30, 30 days to prepare from this. And this is what we got out of it. You got bad special teams plays. Uh, literally the first special teams play, you had a blunder. And then you had multiple, multiple after that. You, I understand. Devin Brown went down and it probably messed up some things in your game plan. I get that. but. Devin Brown now has a history of injury. So you maybe be, maybe should have been prepared for this anyway, for the idea that maybe you might have to go to your second string quarterback and you weren't prepared for any of that. But my overall point here is somehow this has flipped, Nathan, to where three years ago, it's these offenses are awesome. Can the defense just get out of the way? And now it's the defense is elite and it's awesome. And depending on the decisions of some of these guys, it might be the best defense in the country coming in the next year. And we have no idea whether or not this offense is going to get in its way or not. Well, so hold on, because a couple of these. So if to say that they didn't prepare for leaking Hinolds, I mean, it's not like he wasn't taking reps. In fact, he was taking the bulk of the second team reps, which is why one of the reasons why he got the nod over Tristan Jebby. I mean, he had been preparing to be the backup quarterback. I don't know if there was anything they could have done in the past month to make him prepared for tonight, playing a 10 win top 10 team from the SEC in the Cotton Bowl in that environment, the first, and you'd, you'd attempted five passes all year. Like There was nothing they were going to do in the past month to make him more prepared for that moment. He was out class. He was overmatched. Uh, he And actually, I give him credit. I don't think he, he flinched from the fire. I thought he kind of stood up in the moment, did as well as he could have been expected to do. Uh, and none, I don't think anybody's blaming Lincoln Keynotes for anything that transpired tonight. But also, do you think they win this game if Kyle McCord's a quarterback? Because I think they win this game if Kyle McCord's a quarterback. I don't know. That's a good question. I They certainly score more than three points. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know if... I, there were too many other problems with, with the offense that I kind of look at and I'm like, I don't think this was good enough. I don't think that was good enough. I don't think this was, uh, this was what you needed to do. I don't think that was like, I, I think that it's a game. I think it's a closer game, but, th- w- and we'll get into this here in a couple of minutes. There were other scenarios here. Where I think this could have been worse for Ohio state. And it wasn't. So I don't, th- I don't, I think it's possible. I, I don't know if I would say it. Certainly they win this game. If Kyle Moore's quarterback. Steven, you're on mute. Steven, you're on mute. I don't know. I don't know if they win the game. I think they score more than three points. They probably get into the end zone once or twice, maybe, maybe once. But this offensive line was that bad. Yeah. That they could not run the ball at all. And so Missouri just constantly had seven, 
eight guys in the box all game and dared Ohio State to do something about it. And it just, it seemed like Ohio State didn't have an answer to a very simple problem. And that's if a team loads up the box, go over the top of them. And they did it maybe three times, one of which Jaden Ballard needs to, you have to catch that ball, dude. You're in the best wide receiver room in the country. That's your standard. You got to catch one-on-one balls like that. Xavier Johnson did catch one, but then he obviously he gets knocked out of the game. But it just, I don't know. I think I agree with Andrew. I don't think they win this game. And it's not because of anything Kyle McCord would or wouldn't have been doing. I just think this offensive coaching staff, man, it, yeah. it just, yeah, this was bad. It looked incompetent out there today. And I don't think I've ever been at that level with the offensive coaching staff. Well, one of the reasons why, I mean, yes, they stacked the box. And I do agree that Ohio State, they took that shot to, to Ballard. I guess it was like, what, late in the first half. And I said to someone, we were talking at halftime, I was like, why don't they do that on first down? Don't do that on third down. Do that on first down. Because on third down, they're not going to stack the box as much third and long. They know you're going to throw it. Uh, do it on first down when they are stacking the box. And that's and then that's what they did on the first play. They got it to Xavier Johnson, and it went for a, a big gain, and it gave them a chance. and. I thought they should have done that more, but I also think that with as much as this box was stacked and the pressure that Missouri was bringing um, against Lincoln Keenholz in particular, that was just a recipe for disaster. I think if, if Kyle McCord had been in there, then uh, they would have been able to to put together enough offense to win a game where they only give up 14 points. But that's not really the point because Kyle McCord isn't here anymore, and there's a reason he's not here anymore. And... Uh, this game was supposed to be about more so than winning this game. This game was supposed to be about getting the, getting a impression of Devin Brown, finding out what you have there and helping you solve the overall. So that's why it was the worst case scenario for Ohio State. Not only do they lose the game, they got essentially no real read on what they have in Devin Brown. When Devin Brown went down, I thought two things. Number one, I felt terribly for Devin Brown because of the the battle that you lost. You're you're going through the year. You get hurt during the year. You finally have a chance. And I I was like, man, this this was his shot. Because even if you bring in a transfer portal quarterback, I mentioned this on a pregame pod. Even if you bring in a transfer guy, it gives Devin Brown film to show everybody else that I can lead a team like Ohio State. That I can do things like Ohio State. You know, I can lead this type of offense. And then the second thing was. Ah, you know what? We might not actually get to know a lot about Ohio State's offense. And that is just way wrong because the offensive line was a disaster. Like the offensive line was just embarrassing, frankly. Like Josh Simmons got beat on um on a sack and this is kind of what I was referring to earlier. I, Nathan, I don't know if you noticed this or they if it, they pointed it out in the press box or whatever. That play was a fumble which Devin Brown got hit from the blind side when Josh Simmons got beat. That was a fumble. Oh, you, mean, you mean how the, the, the announcers Missouri, were still talking about it an hour and a half after it happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that plays a fumble, and Missouri's defensive tackle picks the ball up and hands it to the referee. Like, Missouri had the ball. Like, the, the offense was a mess, and the offensive line was not good enough. There were far too many times where there were just complete and utter protection breakdowns. and. I understand, you know, the narrative, oh, if Kyle McCord was in the game or if, you know, even if Devin Brown was in the game, man, they were f- they were rushing four sometimes and it was just a jailbreak on on the quarterback. And that is just embarrassing. I thought that to Steven's point about the play calling, we saw them run heavy early 
we saw them go really heavy early, like heavy personnel. Did they do it again? Like, did did they bring out like the like heavy package early? We saw them run that early in the game. I don't think they did it a lot. And when your offensive line is struggling, that's a problem. I thought that they ran Travion Henderson way too many times in between the tackles. I know we joke about that stretch play, that stretch to the boundary play that Steven and Nathan always kind of talk about having. We always talk about having seen it for years, but. Trevion Henderson, he's a player. You see the burst. You see the athleticism. You see the explosiveness. Let him hit the corner. Let him get outside in some way, shape, or form. Get him the ball in a manner that is going to get him in space. I don't think they did that tonight. Where was Dallin Hayden? You didn't give Dallin Hayden one carry. Like, you gave Xavier Johnson five carries. Dallin Hayden didn't touch the ball once. I just, there were things that you could have done in this game to take the pressure off your quarterback. And I think we saw maybe what it could have looked like early. Devin Brown, he found Emeka. I think his first couple of passes were targeted for Emeka. Ohio State threw 24 passes. Emeka was targeted on eight of them. You, you, I, I understand it. You, you, you try and get after your young guys or your, your guy that is, excuse me, your superstar and take the pressure off your young guys. But it just... For so long, it felt like we've talked about this Ohio State team, especially since I've been on the beat and even just watching as a casual college football fan, we've talked about this Ohio State team as, oh, well, this is what happens in bowl games, right? You have other star players that are able to step up and make plays. And it just felt like Ohio State didn't really trust the offensive line. And it felt like Ohio State didn't really do enough. They didn't have enough creativity offensively to get some of those playmakers the ball. So I thought it was a mess from the play calling standpoint, from the offensive lines execution. The running game kind of was on the, I'm not going to put a ton of that on the running backs. I don't think the blocking was great, but I th- that goes back to the play calling. Let your speed guy hit the, <laughs> hit the edge and they didn't do it. I just, there's a lot to poke holes in in this offense. And I just, it wasn't good enough on any level you want to talk about coaching, schematics, execution. It just was not good enough. I'm going to say this, and then we're going to take a break. Just on the offensive line, in terms of the Kyle McCord point, I think where they probably missed Kyle McCord, and just I, I'll say in general, a quarterback who would have played 12 games of a season is in some of these protection blunders because a lot of that is on the quarterback to pick that up. There was one in particular where they blitzed. I think they blitzed the cornerback on one side and the linebacker on the other side. And I don't think Lincoln Keenholz picked it up in pre, pre-snap. He didn't pick it up. And it's because he's a true freshman who's been here since June. So that's just what it is. But he didn't pick it up. And so Josh Simmons didn't – he didn't slide outside. And so because he didn't slide outside, him and Donovan Jackson end up blocking the same person. And that free blitzer gets through. And now Lincoln Keenholz has just got to throw it away. That's probably where they miss Kyle McCord more than anywhere else. But we'll get into the quarterback in the situation. Let's take a quick break here, and then let's talk about that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. We're talking Ohio State's loss to Missouri in the Cotton Bowl, 14-3. to Ohio State came into, the, came into this game, Nathan, with a plan of we're going to build an offense around Devin Brown. They spent 30, 30 days preparing for that. And then by the end of the first quarter, <laughs> that plan kind of goes out of the window. And you've got to go to Lincoln Keenholz, which I, I am empathetic to that because this was supposed to be, let's get a full game evaluation on Devin Brown and what this looks like. And Ryan Day was even talking about such after the game in his post-game con- press conference. And you don't get that now. As you mentioned in the first part of this pod, part of the reason they went to Lincoln Keenholz was he has been getting the second team reps. But also, it does seem like an easier transition from a play-calling standpoint 
to go from Devin Brown to Lincoln Keenholz because there are things that they wanted to do with Devin Brown that they can still do with Lincoln Keenholz, like the read option stuff. They didn't get to do any of that. Clearly. And I, I think that that's a I, I put the not call in some of that stuff. That's malpractice as well, because that's the thing is it, that could help make things easier on Lincoln Keenholz. It's not having them drop back and pass and actually just read it a couple of more times. But we can agree or disagree on that. But the bigger question I want to ask you now is Ohio State starting quarterback is now at Syracuse. You don't know what you have in Devin Brown because you only got a quarter of it. Lincoln Keenholz is so young and was probably two years from being ready to play for you anyway. That was always the timeline he was on. And you've got a true freshman coming here in Aaron Nolan, who, yes, five-star recruit, playing in a high level in Georgia. All that stuff is great. But you don't know about that one either. Where, where does Ohio State go from here with its quarterback room? Should, do you still think it should just go into the offseason and these are their three options, or should they maybe explore what's out there in the portal? Even if you think that Comacord wouldn't have won this game, Comacord's transfer is the reason Ohio State lost this game because it put them in a situation yes. that when Devin Brown went down, the only person they could turn to was someone who Ryan Day had essentially told us was not ready to be the quarterback who led this offense. He was asked on a couple of occasions leading into this game, like, oh, is this, you know, this would be a chance to see Lincoln Keenholz too, right? And he's like, eh, no. Like, man, maybe if things go really well, we'll have a chance to put Lincoln in there. They did not want to play Lincoln Keenholz in this game. So I just want to make sure that that, like, all analysis of this game has to come back to the fact that Ohio State was using a quarterback who was completely unprepared for the situation and who uh, was not going to lead them to a win over a team this good. Um, unless this defense, instead of just doing great things, did like superhuman things and just couldn't quite get there. Where do they go with this room now? I mean, obviously, there are rumors out there about them being um, connected to to Will Howard, the former Kansas State quarterback. Um, I I don't know how much substantially better I feel like he is than the guys that they are going to have to choose from in that room after more months of development of, of Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz and then Aaron Nolan coming in. But I also think that you're, because of what happened tonight, I think you're in a place where you have to probably look at bringing somebody in. And I don't know what the repercussions are then for the room. Someone like Will Howard would be a one-year addition. He would not be here for the long haul. Um, He's someone who would be looking to come someplace one year, enhance his NFL draft status, and move on. And obviously, Ryan Day is the kind of guy that you think he could do that with. but. It also might mean that Devin Brown's not here in the spring or after the spring, depending on how the spring goes. Obviously, that's complicated, too, by the extent of this injury, which is going to take him several weeks to come back from. And he may need to come back and prove in the spring that he's he's healthy. And, you know, uh, Mecca Buka just came back from a high ankle sprain in a relatively short amount of time uh, at a position where it's probably even harder to do that. So, you know, Devin Brown being able to come back from injury for the spring is probably in the cards. But this is also the third different injury he's had now in, in, since April. You know, um, hurting the finger a week before the spring game, having the right ankle sprain mm-hmm. that happened at midseason, now having this left ankle sprain. Like, and you don't want to just call a guy uh, injury prone because, I, you know, he, he's a guy who I think is a, is a grinder and works hard and has been going out there and trying to gut it out. But that adds to the unreliability, unpredictability of this situation right now and the instability of this situation. And Ohio State has to have, has to stabilize this position somehow. And I don't know that you can say you have stability with 
just the three guys you have on the roster after what you saw Friday night. The unfortunate thing is that Brown didn't look great in that first quarter, really. It looked about like what we thought the first quarter might look like for him. Like, you know, it's a big moment. You're trying to settle in. Um, he has to, you know, you're you're probably sped up a little bit. Um, you're, you're figuring out what's going on out there against, again, a really good team, which, by the way, was early on stacking the box and making Devin Brown prove that he could make the reads and the throws to beat them. And you wonder what could happen if he had just been able to settle in. You know, we saw so many times this year where Kyle McCord had slow starts, but eventually he was able to settle in and things clicked in and he had better games. And Devin Brown, I think one of the underrated aspects of that first quarter was um, he's he's credited with three carries in this game. They were all sacks that he took. He didn't actually get to really get out and run at any point. And I think that was such an un, uh, obvious part of his game and a thing that he had even talked about in games this year. He talked about the Purdue game where he got to play more and like going in and like taking some hits like helps you get into the. That's what would have helped him get into the flow of this game. And that just the, the short amount of time he was in that game, that never materialized for him. And I, the ankle changes everything in this game. Like if he's able to keep playing, but even if he'd been able to stay in the game, which it was pretty obvious he had to come out by then. But if it had not been as severe and he'd been able to stay in the game, the running still would have been compromised. You're taking a big part of his game out. So I don't know that it would have actually changed the result all that much at that point because that's what makes him a more dangerous quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I think that um, I was never that enamored with the selection of portal quarterbacks that were available this cycle. Uh, Will Howard of the group is one that is a little bit more – I, I see the upside in him from a one-year standpoint. You're not taking a big gamble on a younger guy and potentially scaring off or or upsetting your quarterback room um, and the guys that you are bringing in there to, to be the future of your program. And if you can bring in a guy for one year and make him still have to compete with McCord, or I'm sorry, with Brown, and, and decide who wins out of that – I think you have to look at something like that. Uh, there are some other one-year guys, I guess, out there. Uh, DJ Uyagalele is still out there, um, but Cam Cam Ward is still out there. But like I, Howard is the one that would maybe make the most sense. Uh, now it's just a matter of does he feel like Ohio State makes the right sense? And I'm sure there's there's a whole sort of uh, NIL things that are going to have to be in consideration there too. Um, I don't know as you're getting at before throw. Steven, like if you're looking at like positions you need to buy for this team, if that's the thing that we're talking about here, I don't know quarterbacks first on my list. Yeah, I think I, I, I still agree with that. I mean, Will Howard, it probably just he fits the mold, at least of what you're looking for from an Ohio State quarterback physically, at least. But I'm still I don't think they have to go look in the portal for an option. It's, it, it, you can't overreact to what you saw tonight, because what you saw was. And already probably 65 to 70% healthy Devin Brown to begin with, get down to 20% very quickly in this game. So we don't know what he is. And Lincoln Kinos was not supposed to be playing football this year. He played 20 snaps coming into this game. He wasn't even supposed to play those 20. He wasn't supposed to play any snaps at all. So I, I almost, I don't fault him for anything he did wrong out there in that situation. In fact, I expected him to do everything that he did wrong and was pleasantly surprised by some of the right stuff he did. I saw some of the, the go balls he threw were pretty good. 
pretty good ball. The one he had to Xavier Johnson, it was accurate. The one he had to J- Jalen Ballard, it was in the right position. I-, I thought when he settled in there a little bit, he was calm. I didn't think he was sporadic with things. So I don't blame them on any of that stuff. So I- I'm still not all the way there with it. I just think that now this element with Devin Brown, it's not, a, it might be injury prone, man. You've played less than 150 snaps and you've had three different injuries very quickly here. And I, it's, it's, it's harsh, but it's true at the same time. And when you're talking about a guy whose athleticism is part of the best thing of part of his game, but he's not healthy because he's whatever he's doing with that athleticism. Is it really a weapon for your offense? Andrew, do, do you think just given what the, where the room is, given where the guy who's the oldest in the room is in his development, but also now in injury history, do you think Ohio state should at least explore the possibility of bringing in another variable until this equation well I, I think they should have been exploring it before you know december 29th at 11 p.m you know I, I i think they should have been doing some homework a little bit i think it, it's kind of commonplace at this point and everybody kind of knows it to say if somebody enters the transfer portal and you didn't know about it then you're in trouble and and i think that's you got to be doing your homework and you got to be kind of aware but I, I think there's a di- there's a difference between like knowing about it versus being actively going out and trying to pull one of these guys and that's what i'm getting at here is not do you i mean they know about everybody who goes in the transfer report it's somebody's whole job here to do that right but it's a different situation i'm asking should they actively be searching for a guy and actively be trying to pull one of these guys in there? i think so um you know but this is this is unfortunately a question for the Ohio State coaching staff that we really can't answer super well because everything that Devin Brown has shown has been, or most of what Devin Brown has shown has been behind closed doors. Like we haven't seen him play meaningful football. He played one quarter tonight. You know, he he didn't play like how many meaningful snaps did Devin Brown play during the season? He played the, the one series against Indiana in the second quarter where they didn't let him throw it. And like there, the, you there wasn't a lot where Devin Brown played like and actually ran the true offense. wasn't just kind of in there as like almost like a wildcat type of goal line offense. So you, you kind of have to rely on what Ohio State's coaches have seen for the last couple of months. I've said this before. You can't look at this one game whether he went what did I say thirty of thirty seven for like three fifty. Like if he did that, you can't just disregard three months of man, this guy doesn't have it in practice, on the practice field, in the film room, in whatever. Like, it, you can't disregard that if he played really well or vice versa. If you say, like, man, this guy's got it. Like, this guy's playing really well. He's practicing really well. He knows everything. He's really smart. And then he goes out there and he doesn't play that great against Missouri. You can't disregard one day. I know it's a big sample size, but it's a big, important thing. But you can't disregard it. So I think you kind of have to look at this holistically um, and you have to, understand that there's a lot behind closed doors that you have to answer for and i think you do have to go after a guy with the understanding that you could go after a guy and then devin brown says peace i'm i'm out like i can't do this and devin brown goes and finds a new home and all of a sudden you have let's for use for just insert name here you have will howard and lincoln keenholz as your one two going into spring and do you feel better about that than you do with Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz? Like you have to be kind of prepared for this scenario where we can say that there might be a quarterback competition between Will Howard and Devin Brown, but you also have to be prepared for the scenario that anytime you bring somebody in, somebody might be going out and that somebody might be Devin Brown. And if you bring somebody in and Devin Brown leaves, 
do you feel better about that one-two punch than you do with Devin Brown currently here? So I think that's it's a really tough question to answer just because we haven't seen a ton of Devin Brown, but I think you have to do every possible thing you can to upgrade the quarterback room, especially at the situation you're in right now. Nathan, am I allowed to not care about if somebody leaves at this point? <laughs> And I'm serious because, yes, more than likely, if they go bring in a guy, they're probably bringing him in with the idea that that guy's going to be your starting quarterback, which means the oldest guy in the room is probably going to leave. But if they don't bring anybody into this room and Lincoln Keenholz or Aaron Nolan wins this job, Devin Brown's going to leave anyway. So it's like either Devin Brown wins the starting job this year or he's probably going to leave because that's just where we're at with college football is that you can't expect somebody who is a former top 50 to recruit to sit around for three years to be your starting quarterback. Well, but if if, if that were to happen, he's not going to win that job until preseason camp, till till like this past season. It wouldn't be a decision. I, I don't think mm-hmm. even one of those guys yeah. can win the job in the spring. Keenholz, after what we saw tonight, is not ready to win a, a no. quarterback battle with Brown in the spring and Aaron Nolan having just got here in January almost certainly would not be either. So you would have all three of those guys up until the start of the season and, and you, you there's no portal window then until the end of the season. So you would have all three of those quarterbacks next season. So it's the same reason that the people who are saying now, like, um, well, you know, they didn't, they picked common core before the year because they didn't want to lose Devin Brown, like, no, Devin Brown was going to have to be here through the season. Like there's no, I mean, I guess he could have just said, I'm not playing, but I mean, he would have, that would have been dumb. You're one snap away, as we saw tonight, from being the starting quarterback at Ohio State. So um, you would have had him all season. Like that, which, that was not a factor in that decision. So no, I don't. I don't think that really. It's it's whether you would lose him. But again, it, as as kind of as as Andrew's alluding to, it would just be a one for one trade if that were to happen. And I'm not saying for sure that Devin Brown would leave because Devin Brown has been through. Um, competitions before i think i was talking about on the pod the other night um you know his dad when he was a, a youth coach would he was telling me he would bring in um a good quarterback like for their team like try to find good quarterbacks to come in to play on their team all the time and make Devin have to beat them out and he kept beating them out and because he wanted to make it tough on him he wanted him to get to this point and be ready and 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 be able to succeed and um the the story about when he transferred up to the place in Utah and and uh, Zach Wilson's brother was already there and two other guys transferred in trying to take the starting quarterback job and he started fourth on the depth chart and rose up to number one. There's so many good things about Devin Brown's intangibles and his competitiveness and his his charisma and but as I wrote earlier this week, none of that like they knew all that in January. They knew all that the day they got him here a year before that 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 was the kind of person he was, the kind of guy he was. They needed tonight to find out what kind of quarterback he was, and it's not his fault that they didn't. Like, a bad thing happened, a bad break. Like, man, like, he just can't catch a break. And at some point, though, that's not Ohio State's problem either. They can feel sorry for him. I wrote this in in something I wrote in, uh, about the common court situation, like the day after that happened, after talking to people on uh, both sides of the situation. and in a kind of an evaluation that I was doing of how the whole thing fell played out. And I just, I wrote this line and I, I believe it. It's that when you being ruthless doesn't necessarily mean being heartless. And Ryan Day's in a situation right now where he has to be ruthless and doesn't mean he's being heartless towards, towards Devin Brown. But if you think there's a transfer portal quarterback out there who might be an upgrade over what you project Devin Brown to be in the spring or certainly by the start of next season, then, and that person's interested in coming, I think you've got to do it. 
Now, I think you're also in a situation, though, where you become a little bit of a hypocrite. The, the, the other problem with the transfer quarterback, portal quarterback idea is the whole common accord thing was I'm not promising you anything today because all these other people deserve an evaluation. And are you saying the same thing to whatever transfer portal quarterback comes in? That I'm not guaranteeing you anything that you can come in and compete for this job. I like your chances of winning it. You can come in, but I'm not telling you for sure that you're going to be the starter. Is the is portal quarterback X uh, content with that offer that he's going to come in under those circumstances? I don't know that for sure. Steven, to, to go back to what you said for a second, um, you were like, I, you know, I don't care about it. Is it bad if I don't care about, you know, guys transferring anymore? I think at quarterback, it's fine at other positions. Maybe if you were alluding to quarterback specifically, then obviously we have no, you know, uh, we agree. I'm talking um, about all, all 22 players. I, I I understand. Um, I, so that we disagree a little bit. I do, I do think it matters if, you know, if you're going to lose a, a guy and, you know, a couple offensive linemen or a couple defensive linemen or line, but whatever, I think that that could be a different, you know, a, a different scenario, but I think it, I've made this comparison before. It's kind of like that horrible college class you see in like movies where like some scary mean professor gets in front of everybody and goes, look to your left, look to your right. One of you won't be here. Like that's kind of where you're at with quarterback because like what if Aaron Nolan comes in and is just a baller and Aaron Nolan is the backup quarterback behind Devin Brown? Lincoln Keenholz is probably going to leave. If Lincoln Keenholz gets bumped down the depth chart by a by a guy that's younger than him, Lincoln Keenholz is probably going to leave. So it doesn't mean it's like an unhealthy quarterback room if people leave. It's it's just a scenario that you have to work, you know, you have to kind of work in. You have to understand that that's the model now. And, you know, you can say that, hey, Devin Brown's going to compete and we can't name a starter. But Devin Brown, you might bring in a guy and then get to the end of the spring period and Ryan Day's not ready to name a starter. And Devin Brown goes, you know what? I've been down this road before. I can't do this again. I need to go somewhere where I can play. And you could be in that scenario too. Like that is an option as well because there is a portal window at the end of spring practice. It's shorter than the than the portal window that we're in right now, but there is that kind of option. So you, you could be in a situation where, you know, you have this battle and hey, it's another McCord-Brown situation shaping up and let's say it's, you know, Will Howard and, you know, it's, it's Devin Brown and ah, both guys are doing really good things, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the end of April and Devin Brown goes, I can't take uncertainty for another year. I can't do this for another year. Bye. And he leaves. And then that's where you're at. So like, I think it's, there's 800 different ways that it can go. And that's uh, unfortunately the kind of the, the way that we're in Ohio, the way that we're in college football right now. And that's what Ohio state has to take into account. And Nathan, we've had that conversation before too. We had it with Kyle McCord and he stuck around, right? He got to that April window and didn't feel like he needed to sit down and have a conversation with Ryan Day about where things stood the way Joe Burrow did back in 2018. He waited until December to have that conversation of where things stood. And then he decided to jump in the transfer portal. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to how Devin Brown could handle this. He could do the Joe Burrow thing because it's like, dude, I'm in year three. I need to get on the field. I need to know now. Or he might not care like Kyle McCord did and continue to battle to your point and then go through the through fall camp and maybe he wins the job, maybe he doesn't. And then we get to December and we're going through this whole song and dance once again. I, I think either one of those are on the table now, regardless of who comes into this room or doesn't come into this room outside of the three guys we're expecting to be in this room. The, the other thing that complicates this is Devin Brown's hurt now. Devin Brown's hurt in a way that, again... The high ankle sprain, we 
And Mecca Buka was just talking earlier this week about how he had to get the the tightrope surgery to fix that. Like this could be several week thing that Devin Brown has to worry about that before he can worry about any of this other stuff. And frankly, it's December 30th that we're having this conversation. The portal's open till January 2nd for teams that don't make the playoff. And I think there's a couple days longer for the ones that do. But so like, is Devin Brown going in the portal in the next three days? Like, no, I so the, again, this is what we're talking about. We'd be talking about he's going to be here this spring. Devin Brown will I, mm-hmm. be on this football team this spring. I think we can say with, with decent certainty. Yeah. It should be healthy again by this spring to show where he's at and what he can do. And everybody on this around this program was talking with enthusiasm about the progression he was making. And we were talking this week about how this wasn't a situation where he had to come in and dominate this game and do amazing things. Obviously, it would have really helped Ohio State if he had. It was more about showing how far he had come if he had been able to stabilize a little bit, not make some of the same errors and mistakes and turnovers and things like that. And he just didn't get that opportunity. And now it just it creates the worst kind of uncertainty. And it would be foolish to think that Ohio State was not um, had not had any contact with transfer portal quarterbacks up to this point. We haven't had any intel that the, anybody had come in for a visit. Um, there may have been stealth offers. I don't know. But I think you're probably going to see more certainty in that regard coming up here in the next few days. It might be a thing that waits until, again, after first of the year. Um, there's obviously other teams are playing. Things are getting sorted out at other places. Guys can still go in the portal, like I said, up until January 2nd. But you don't have to You don't have to pick a destination by then. You just have to be in the portal by then in order to, to be somewhere for the start of the second semester. And I don't not remember off the top of my head what day the second semester starts for Ohio State. But there's still a lot of other things in the mix there because you can you have until January 15th to decide if you're declaring for the NFL draft. The makeup of this team could still change uh, either slightly or radically in the next 16 days. You don't got to go home, but you got to get the heck up out of here. Monday, January model, ladies 8th. and gentlemen. Monday, January 8th, the semester starts for Ohio State. Okay. That's very quickly. Oh, man. Yeah, that felt early. I, yeah. yeah. If, if you're listening way, to this and you're a college student, I hope you get more time off. I, I want you to have as much time off as possible. Just know I have for I have uh, your thoughts in mind. That day, people throw those days around sometimes when there's these transfer situations because I think you have to be enrolled by then. I have seen, yeah. I, I covered a, a, a basketball grad transfer one time who didn't get there until like, I swear to God, it was like October, a school that's on semesters didn't get there until like late <laughs> September, October, but they enrolled him because it was a grad, it was grad school and you can mm. do some things with grad school that you can't always do with, because you can make up the coursework, whatever. So keep that in mind that it, it, there are some academic maneuvering that can happen in some of these situations. Because, oh yeah, these guys still are in school, even if the thing they do for it. Now a living. I mean, some of these guys are making a lot of money. Let's take one last break, and then Andrew's right. We still have to talk about special teams. And that that can be a part of a bigger conversation about the staff in general. We'll get back into that quickly here when we come back on Buckeye Talk. Okay, Nathan. So usually when we've been doing the Monday pod this year, I have usually been just hitting Nathan with these like really hot points, and then he tapers it down. It's almost, It's a good give and take a lot of the times. I'm going to do it here on this Friday night, Saturday morning pod really quickly. So Ryan Day has historically not, he's waited until after the 
season is officially over, so after bowl games, to make a lot of these coaching changes and decisions. I get it. When he revamped the staff the first time, he did it after the the Rose Bowl in 2018, going into that 19 season. When he did it again in, after the 21 season, he waited till after the Rose Bowl, and immediately after all that stuff started coming out. And he was probably always going to wait until after this Cotton Bowl to do it again. So I would expect here over the next week and a half for decisions to be made. I'm at least expecting that. We'll see. But is there a reason why Parker Fleming had to be here for the past 30 days, given how that special teams played again? Like, I don't know if that would have been any different if Parker Fleming was not here and James Laurinaitis would have been able to go out on the road as the 10th assistant coach to close out this season. Yeah, I mean, I think we've already talked about that. Like, I, it, that didn't make any sense to me. I just from a, a recruiting standpoint, like why why you didn't have him out there. If if you're trying to win this game, then as bad as special teams, as problematic as it has been for them this year, I don't know if dumping those duties on another coach would have made your special teams better on in a 30 day window. Where, by the way, all those coaches are out recruiting. Um, not so much Parker Fleming. I guess he just has to go out and like. You know, he locked up that walk on long snapper or whatever. But like all the other coaches are out recruiting for a big chunk of this month. Like you're getting signing day together. They don't have time to figure out the ins and outs of being the special teams coordinator. So from that standpoint, I guess it's defensible. Um, But the indefensible thing was extending him after last year which was following the indefensible thing, which was hiring him in the first place, because I just have never understood why you balance the staff this way. And it, the only way it, 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 it hits you in the face in a real tangible way, when the only thing that would have made it justifiable was having a big schematic advantage on special teams. And not only did you not have that, you just kept making dumb mistakes. The, the delay a game tonight on the first time the punt team goes out there. Um, how many times they were fair catching the ball at the five yard line. Like I, I don't get how I don't even get the thought process that's happening on special teams anymore. And this is frankly the easy decision that, that Brian Day has ahead of him. They've got a grad assistant who they want to move up to a full-time head uh, assistant coach. They have a special teams coordinator who's not getting the job done. That's that's easy. That's one plus one. And um, figure out who's going to coach special teams later. That's the least of your concerns right now um you know get get your staff aligned correctly from an offense defense standpoint um i also though and you may be headed here like i come out of this game with with a lot more concerns about other places on this coaching staff like the the offensive line Mm -hmm. thing is not trending in the right direction like they had 30 more days to build off of what had been an improvement in the second half they make this decision for whatever reason they make this decision and we didn't get to follow up with Ryan Day in the the way this press conference is run to find out. That question came in late in the press conference. Um, Shout out to really Bill Landis, to, man. Yeah, and we really didn't get to follow up with like, so wait, how long has Matt Jones been repping with the ones at center? How long has Enoch Vimahi been repping with the ones? Like, we didn't get those answers, and we may not get those answers until next time we talk to Ryan Day, which probably won't be um, for for a hot minute. But regardless of that, the, the the just the the lack of pass protection tonight at times was was pretty bad. I think Devin Brown probably contributed to that at times. I think he made some bad reads on some things. Um, one of the reasons they didn't run the ball better was because I don't know that he was always making the right reads on on the gives on on yeah. the zone stuff. 
But the the offensive line performance this season, I don't care how many people were voted. I don't care how many people like accidentally got voted first team all Big Ten on this team. Like no offense to Josh Fryer, but I don't know what that was. And that our eyes showed us what the Ohio State standard is and where this was relative to that. And you're going into now to an off season where I don't know if there's obvious answers on the roster that trump the ones that you already had, but it didn't look better after 30 days of practice than it did at the end of the season. So, and on top of that, you're not recruiting all that hot on the offensive line. So that's a position of uh, concern. I don't think it's a position of crisis yet, but if they don't recruit the offensive line with, um, with more, um, with reaching into a more elite level in the next cycle, then I don't know what you're doing there either. I think you can do better. It's got to be better. Uh, I'm going to go crisis. And it's because that's the give and take here. Someone's got to say it. I think it's crisis. This was, once again, Enoch Wamahi, in the times we have seen him, in two extended opportunities against top 10 opponents, it has not looked good. In fact, you pulled him after, I think, the second series last year. And at no point in fall camp was his name brought up when we were talking about potential offensive line and the way it might look. That's actually, not true. Up. That's actually not true. That's actually not true. Like as Justin Fry brought him up. Justin Fry brought him up a lot as someone he felt like they had to get on the field somewhere. The way he was saying it, but that uh, was always kind of an empty thing anyway. Because like I don't care, you're trying to get him on the field. Like is he one of your five best? And I don't think there was any point where. Um, he was thought, of, but but he was like Justin Fry has been a a proponent of him for okay. a long time, and it, it's it's tricky to also say, oh, the two times he was on the field against the top ten opponent, he looked bad. Well, all right, no crap. Like <laughs> maybe if he ever got to play against yeah. a team that was yeah. a, not a top ten opponent, he would have looked better <laughs> in some of those opportunities and it would help them. Like frankly, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying like that's that's just that's just kind of a obvious thing. I bet Lincoln Hinolds would have looked better tonight if he'd been playing Michigan State or Minnesota instead of uh, Missouri. No, that's fair. If we're keeping it just to, to but, M teams, so um, for for whatever reason, so not to completely derail your point, but I don't think I don't no, necessarily no, think I, that, the thing is not the problem. I like I don't Inukamahi. It's we can single out single offensive line performances from any given game. It's a more holistic problem that's that's infected them now yeah. Yeah. for going on a few years. And last no, and year, that, and that's what I'm getting at. I, I, yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to pick on Enoch Bamahi. It's not about Enoch Bamahi. So I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm picking on him. It's how did you come to that decision? Because you had got a point this year where like Luke Montgomery was like your extra offensive lineman in the Bison package. Why didn't you consider him in that situation? Tegra Shabola has been a second team guard and was in the battle at some point over the last nine months to be a starter at some point. Why is he now your extra offensive lineman instead of getting into consideration in that situation? Why not Zen Maholsky in that situation? You've been using, you even texted this out. Hey, Caden Curry is warming up with the offense because you know he's been doing this fullback role, but don't take, don't expect that to take away from his defensive line work because he's still going to work out there too. And then they go with the Bison packets and it's Caden McDonald out there. It's just, some of these decisions don't make sense at all, and I'm so I'm sorry if it may, if it felt like I was just picking on Enoch Bamahi, but it, it's the holistic thing of it of where is all this coming from, and it's like all of it backfired, none of it worked, and you probably could have looked at it before it actually played out and went, why are we doing this now in this situation? So I think you're right, Nathan. I think part of it was maybe 
if it's not the whole piece of the pie, at least part of the piece of the pie might be Carson Hensman went on a podcast a week ago and was maybe giving out stuff he wasn't supposed to give out. Maybe that's part of it, but maybe part of it is maybe he wasn't practicing well. But what you did didn't work either, Andrew. So it's like, and I don't see where I'm supposed to be excited about the future of this offensive line right now. Well, you guys really didn't want to talk special teams, did you? That immediately went <laughs> no, into an offensive line conversation. I don't. I, I, Look, I, I, the special have, teams conversation have, is over. Yeah. We it are, should be. I yeah. really, I really, really a, hope yeah. this is the last time we have to talk about Parker Fleming and special teams. Yeah. I really I, hope. The thing, the thing that Nathan hit it exactly right when he said, I have questions now about other coaching decisions and other things on the staff that are a problem because the thing with the offensive line was that this offensive line was a mess in the first couple of weeks of the year and they slowly got better and then Trevion Henderson comes back and they get even better and they just they progressed to a point where you they you could clearly see that they had gotten better and then you get to the end of the year and you could draw a line of all right well they're they might return everybody but Matt Jones. And even then you might just be able to put Fryer inside at guard and Montgomery at tackle or Shibola at guard and Montgomery at tackle or you know Shibola at guard and keep Fryer ta- like you could come up with a lot of different combinations and say like the offensive line might just return everybody and I understand that uh you know people might be you know concerned about that considering the offensive line had had its struggles this year but continuity continuity on the offensive line is big being a veteran on the offensive line in college football is really big and i just think you could say like man we could we 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 could really do this you know that that was kind of the fandom thing right like you could look at this and say like man why is this offensive line they might not be great next year but they could be good enough and they could be solid and they could be not enough to kill you. And then they do what they did against Missouri and you just kind of throw your hands up and you're like, all right, well, what happened to all that progress? What happened to everything that they had shown? And now you have questions like you're going to get beat on the offensive line. The offensive line is a position of failure. It's, it's exactly like baseball where if Josh Simmons plays 60 reps and he gets burnt badly on four or five of them, and it just so happens that he gives up two or three sacks, everybody's going to look at Josh Simmons and be like, what a mess. What a terrible game that guy had. When in reality, when you actually grade out his 60 plays and you look at his other 60 plays, hey, well, he might have actually played like, you know, 35 A's. He might have played a really good game, and he just gave up a couple of bad plays, and then it just looks really bad. But it looks really bad on the whole operation like you were saying and it's just you have questions about where it's headed because with the offensive line like what's the fix i'm kind of asking rhetorically but i'm kind of also asking you guys like do you go is there a a guy that you can go get in the transfer portal that you know is going to be better than what you have and the you know is going to be a guaranteed this guy's a massive improvement because by the way you need five offensive linemen you can't just go get a right tackle and then dust your hands off and be like we did it everybody you know it's the world's best cup of coffee if it's the holiday season you can quote elf it's you know every, hey everybody we did it we everybody hooray throw your hands up no you, you need more and i i just i don't know where you go from here on the offensive line because it just kind of feel, I don't know if it feels like this to you guys, but 
the progress that the offensive line made, it almost feels like it's not worth anything at this point right now, just because the way that the season ended against Michigan, and now you play like this against Missouri, and you go into another year where there's not a clear and obvious answer. You know, you lose some guys at receiver. Great. There's clear and obvious answers there. Even if you lose Trevin Henderson, okay, well, there's some obvious answers there. And on the offensive line, I just don't know what that obvious answer or answers are. I feel like this is going to be repeating ourselves too, Nathan, so we didn't have to go long. <laughs> the off, it's the Justin Fry situation, obviously the Corey Dennis situation. I just think, in general, this is probably the most pivotal off offseason Ryan Day's had as Ohio State's head, co- head coach. Because even last year, it was like, all right, man, you lost the national champs, man. I get it. The Michigan loss sucks. But, dude, like you lost the national champs, and a lot of this all, this team is still coming back, even if you're losing your starting quarterback. Just figure out the quarterback situation, and you should be okay. You should be right back into the thick of things, which they were. They lost to two top ten teams this year. It's not like they lost to you know Purdue or Iowa along the way. They lost yep. to a playoff team and a team who a year from now is a playoff team in a 12-team college football playoff. But – whether it's figuring out the quarterback situation, whether it's a guy on the roster right now or will be on the roster in literally two weeks when Aaron Nolan gets here, or going out and finding a transfer portal guy, some of the obvious coaching decisions that he's going to have to make, or even some of the ones that may be a little more tough, like maybe an offensive line one, maybe a quarterback one, or anything else out there, along with the own his own maybe look in the mirror of does he need to fully embrace being a CEO mode and not being the offensive coordinator, head coach, quarterbacks coach. Because you can't be all three of those things. I I, just, I think, Nathan, this is the most pivotal offseason of his career. Career, really, as a head coach, because this is his only job so far. Uh, well, I mean, 2021, similar. I mean, they he had to make it, find a new defensive coordinator, went out and hired Jim Knowles, and, and, and made over the whole defensive staff. And there were guys he could have retained, but he, he made choices there. Um, to to not retain guys because of performance related things, and some of those things uh, have gotten better, and some of them have not. Um, you know, I think everyone is very intrigued and uh, enthused if you're an Ohio State fan by where this cornerback group is headed, and and what is capable of them. I mean, like right now, what is with the with the pairing that they could have between defensive line and cornerback next year is the thing that they've been salivating over, dreaming about for a while now. I could maybe even surpass 2019 when you start talking about the totality oh, yeah. of, of everybody that's in those groups. And at the same time, right now, if you're an Ohio State fan, it's probably hard to be fully enthused about that because is it going to be, as you, I think, used the term before, wasted? Maybe I did too, um, with just a, another year of uncertainty on offense, another year of uh, that lack of explosiveness and the lack of, I mean, you have based too much. You literally have your coaching staff tilted towards offense. You prioritize the recruitment of skill position players, especially receivers to a huge degree. And that's where you have an, a great success and have the best group in the country. And to be getting to this point where you're taking a year of, underwhelming play at quarterback by the Ohio State standard and leading into this uncertainty is 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 troubling and I do think it's it's definitely worth talking about the quarterback coach situation too Corey Dennis's contract is up 
I think it's a move that's worth making because I am still a proponent of Ryan Day not being the play caller anymore and finding a quarterback's mm-hmm. coach who could be the co-offensive coordinator. But unlike Brian Hartline, who was promoted for reasons that had nothing to do with his play calling ability, go find an offensive coordinator who is just another Ryan Day esque guy who is known as a play caller. Hire him as your quarterback's coach. You've got co-offensive coordinators, but he calls the plays, and that's not Ryan Day's deal anymore. Um, that's why I think that they need to move on from Corey Dennis. It actually has nothing to do with Corey Dennis, but I think you could also make a, an argument that you know you brought in Justin Fields, who was this uber athlete. You brought in C.J. Stroud, who was a guy whose whose brain worked at a different level and was going to take himself there in some cases. The way he studied film and and, and prepared and made himself cerebrally into a, a top flight NFL quarterback already, and. When you had to take guys who were that next level down and turn them into something better, it hasn't looked like that in either Kate Comacord or Devin Brown's case now two, three years into their career. So you can start to make it, you can start to make performance judgments here too, I think. That it, it you you as as our former colleague uh pointed out from the day that the hire happened, um Corey Dennis was not did not have the resume that you would necessarily look for as a uh, Ohio State quarterbacks coach. And I don't know what the harm is in in finding someone who does. You, you can hire the best assistant coach in the country for every position. You're Ohio State. You're Ohio State football. You, unless that guy already is working at Alabama or like two other places, you can hire the best assistant coach in the country for every position on your field. Why aren't you? So Corey Dennis uh, was a GA turned QC. And so he'd never been a position coach. And also his playing career, he played wide receiver at a program who habitually didn't throw the ball in Georgia Tech. That's the resume that Ryan Day hired to be the head man of the most important room on his roster. And it didn't matter when Justin Fields was a second-year starting quarterback in 2020 because he's Justin Fields. And it didn't matter with C.J. Stroud, his two years as a starting quarterback here, because they're awesome. They're top 15 NFL draft picks. And C.J. Stroud has been showing us how awesome he is until he got hurt, which he's expected to play on Sunday. But still, they showed us how awesome they were regardless of who was running that room. It matters now. It's mattered now because your last two quarterbacks, one of them just can't stay healthy. And we, I mean, we don't know, but then Kyle McCord was good, but he wasn't great. So it matters now, Andrew. Yeah. I want to go back to what something you said about, you know, I know you said like, I know they're, you know, they lost to two teams that would have been in the playoff, but I think that's kind of the problem that, you know, you have to solve, right. Going into this off season is that you played three teams that would have been in a 12 team playoff and you went one and two in those games and you played one team in Notre Dame, you know, you played Penn State, Penn State would have been in the playoff, you beat them, and then you lose to Michigan and Missouri, you play Notre Dame, and Notre Dame just would have missed the playoff, and that was a really close game too, like, th- this is kind of the, the point, right, a- a- and that's the big point of this offseason is, you are Ohio State, like Nathan was saying, you are at the level of, you know, we are recruiting at a level that should be a top four, top five team every single year. And you have now lost a couple of these matchup games. And I understand you can point to, well, they lost in the national champions last year. 
and they lost to the number one team this year. And then they did lose to another team that was really good in Missouri, who Missouri might have even been better than their ranking because they probably should have beat LSU and one lost Missouri. Like they lost to Georgia too. Like you could kind of talk yourself into, well, the teams that they've lost to have been really good, but you've got to find a way to win some of these games because that's where you're at. And the coaching decisions that you have to make are big. The portal decisions that you have to make are gigantic. Who are you bringing in at quarterback and on the offensive line? Because like Nathan said, and like I agreed with, there's a lot more wrong than just, you know, getting, you can't just fire Parker Fleming and say, Hey, we're fixed now. Everything's great. Like there's a lot more going on here that you have to kind of rectify or tweak or fix or however you want to say it. And frankly, you look at the teams that Ohio state has lost to and this year and in the past couple of years, and yeah, you're losing, you know, great teams. And I understand that argument, but the 12 team playoff, you're going to be playing some great teams too. And you've got to find a way to win some of those games. And not only do you have to find a way to win some of those games, like if you play Missouri in the first round of the playoff next year, let's say you don't win the big 10 and you play Missouri at home and you beat Missouri. Hey, great. You know what your reward is? Now you have to go on the road and play Texas. Have fun because you're playing in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl. If, I don't know. Is that a quarterfinal site? I, I forget. But you're playing Texas in the quarterfinals. So have fun. Now you have to, you just beat Missouri. Now you have to go beat Texas. And oh, hey, look, you just beat Texas. Now you get a rematch with Michigan. Have fun. You have to find a way to win some of these games because that's the only way you're going to win a national championship moving forward. So yeah, to echo what you said, gigantic offseason for a myriad of reasons for just kind of evaluating the state of the program. So let me close with this because it's getting late. Even Nathan's time is getting late, even though he's an hour behind us. And he probably wants to get some sleep because he probably <laughs> has to get on a plane tomorrow. Here's why I say I'm it's more pivotal beer. than the last two times. I'm going to go get a very nice cold beer as soon as you're done Make talking. Make it tall so, and cold. I mean, I mean listen, man. Whatever, <laughs> whatever works for you, man. You know, Whatever floats your boat. Here's why I think it's more pivotal than the last two times he had to do it. Because this time it's his side of the ball. That's the problem. And Nathan, I mean, we've covered Ryan Day's entire tenure here. And in 2021, there were times when he would almost talk about it as if like, oh, well, my side's doing it's what it's supposed to do. It's the defensive problem. I hired you to be the head coach of the defense. You should be doing better. You should do it. Look at what my offense is doing. Yeah. Well, head coach of the offense, head coach of the program, you're the problem now. The offense is the problem, child. The offense is the thing that's wasting the elite thing about this team. And you have nine months to figure that out. Whether it's coaching changes or personnel changes, whether you look at your entire starting five offensive line and go, it's not good enough, and then like four of the five guys are new people next year. Whatever that looks like, you have to fix it. You can't push it off to the side and go, oh, we're doing fine. You're not anymore. Because you are the problem. Your offense is why you lost this game on Friday night in, in, the, in the Cotton Bowl against Missouri because you couldn't figure anything out. Your offense more – I understand the defense gave up some stuff to Michigan late, but Michigan's good offensively. The offense, I blame more for why they lost that game than I blame the defense at this point. And you spent $1.9 million to find somebody to fix your defense, and Jim Knowles has done it, baby. He's fixed your defense, and if a lot of these third-year guys come back, it might be the best defense you've had as, as head coach here. And you're right, Nathan. This might be better than 2019 when you talk about the depth of it and not just the top of the room like you were talking about in 2019. Ryan Day's got to figure out he, – he was first hired in 2017 after Ohio State lost in the Fiesta Bowl to Clemson 31-0 to 
to fix his offense, and he fixed it. Well, now he's got to find a way to fix it again. He maybe needs to go find his own Ryan Day to take over some of that offensive play calling duty so he can be more of a CEO. But that's, that's what this offseason needs to be about. Ryan Day's got to look in the mirror and figure out how to fix the reason he was brought here in the first place. That, quite frankly, if you would have told me 18 months ago would have ever been a problem for Ohio State in the Ryan Day era, I would have laughed at you. But that's where we're at now. You might have an elite, top-tier defense next year. You might have an elite wide receiver court. You might have arguably one of the three best running backs in the country next year if Travion Henderson comes back. Jelani Thurman might be like a freak at tight end. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. That's what this boils down to. But I just want to caution people that you know, let's say they go out and get a transfer quarterback. Let's say they go out and get Will Howard. Will Howard wasn't a Heisman finalist. Will Howard was Will no. Howard produced very much in the common court realm this past year. A little more mobile, I think, but but pretty much a common accord statistical comp. So don't necessarily think that any one move like that solves this. I think the one thing that you said that resonates with me the most is I don't care who started on the offensive line in this game. It should have no bearing on who starts on the offensive line in the opener next year. Like you have some guys who were second year guys this year who we know are have have some upside or or even third year guys. Like Tiger Shabol is the one that immediately comes to mind for me. Luke Montgomery mm-hmm. being a first year guy. Like there are some guys here who deserve real looks. And it sometimes it takes a couple years to you have the strength and everything that you need on the offensive line. So I would think that there should be five position battles. I would even throw Donovan Jackson in there and and say you've got to go win it again. Like put make mm-hmm. have, there should be five position battles on this offensive line going into the spring because I don't think you can you you, you yep. owe your defense nothing less than that. I think there's only like three people who I am right now already penciling pinning in as starters, assuming all these guys come back, and that's Travion Henderson, Carnell Tate, and Emeka Ibuka. Everywhere else, battle royale, baby. Figure it out over the next nine months. Because you might have a really good, like, just don't waste it, man. And I'm not, to your point with the Kyle McCord, Will Howard, yeah, they had similar numbers. One also had Marvin Harrison Jr. and one didn't. So, like, that, I'll, I'll put that into yes, play here. But yes. still, to your point, very true. I'm not asked. I don't even know if I'm, yo, go find CJ Stroud, Justin Fields. I don't know if I'm there. But it can't be you go from, if there are hundreds, you can't go from 100 to a 60. You maybe need to go from like 100 to an 80. Because that might be the thing that gets you over the top, especially if you find the right mixture of offensive linemen who is then, like I, like Andrew said, they don't have to be elite. They just have to be good enough. Don't get in the way. How, this is crazy. We used to talk about the defense like this. Don't get in the way of the offense. Offense, don't get in the way of the defense and then continue to build throughout the year to the point that when you do get on the 12-team playoff stage, because I don't think any of us are expecting to them, them to not make the playoff next year, it is a complete football team, and that has not happened in the Ryan Day era since 2019 where you truly had a complete football team. You came close in 2022, but the defense wasn't quite ready to do it yet. You might have a chance to be as close as possible to being a complete football team for the first time since the first year of the Ryan Day era if a lot of these guys come back in 2024. Don't waste it. Get the text. 614-350-3315. Nathan was awesome this week. Andrew was awesome the week before that. It's awesome every week, man. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. You want to know why you want to sign up now? Because a lot of these guys are going to start making their decisions. And when they do, 
we're going to text it first before we do anything else. Two-week free trial, 399 after that, 614-350-3315. That will wrap up the 2023 college football season for Ohio State. Andrew, half of Andrew's rookie year on this beat is over, and now he gets to the more fun, the fun part, the offseason of it. He's still a rookie because he hasn't gone through that yet, but that'll ha- wrap up the 2023 college football season. Ohio State finishes the year 11-2, and no Big Ten championship, no win over Michigan, no college football playoff appearance, and no national champion. But they did have a Heisman Trophy finalist again with Marvin Harris Jr., who also won the Blunt Nicole. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.